Hello, and welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. This is TJ Schwartz. I'm here with Lucas Burnley, and we talk a lot about a lot of stuff on this podcast. Try to stay knife centric, but sometimes it gets more than uh, than knife centric for sure. But we uh, we have two weeks that we missed, and sorry about that, guys. We had what Thanksgiving exactly on the day we usually record. Yep. So we missed one week. I was okay with that. Then you had surgery, and how the are following you feeling? week. Uh, everything's good. Um, yeah, I had, uh, a screw and a pin pulled out of my ankle from a surgery like a decade ago and it's hurt for probably like eight years. And I just figured like, I saw this like little window and I was able to schedule the surgery. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. Um, it's awesome. Luckily, probably pretty non-invasive soft tissue wise, but probably a little soreness in the bone. Yeah. I've got to wear a soft boot, um, like one of the moon boots for I think two weeks, but I went back to the gym yesterday. Like it's, it's weight bearing. So I was terrified because I was like, I just remembered the first time when I had the surgery, I think I was off my feet for six weeks Uh, and I, I was like, man, he, I thought that he said it would be four weeks. And I was like, that's a lot of time, but like December maybe is the best time to do it. And nope. So basically two weeks, um, and I can walk on it. So all nice. good. Nice. But yeah, that was almost exactly on the previous day that we were set right. to record. Yeah. So <laughs> tried to, it's crazy yeah. trying to shift these things. You and I are, at this point are actually pretty systematic of like, okay, like we hit our Thursday releases Monday. It feels like if we don't hit Thursday, our schedules do not have enough flexibility in the other days to be able to compensate. Yeah. It's tough. Which is weird for someone who's not busy. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. No, those two weeks I haven't done anything. Basically I've just been sitting around a campfire and twiddling your thumbs, smoking cigars, you know, deep in thought. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah. It's the holidays. I mean, yeah, don't yeah works overrated so basically what does that leave us with right now that leaves us with the desire to talk about specific topics and the reality of probably just doing a big recap yeah yeah well the, um, you want to start sure i mean the shop has changed a lot i mean intentionally we've been revamping restructuring i've talked about it before and it just feels like I don't, when I walk in the shop, it, it just feels different. It doesn't look different, but the process has been really upended um, and it's feeling amazing. Like, Dude, let's week, just dig, let's just dig into that because I'm super curious. You and I have barely talked over the last couple of weeks. Um, I want to give some CAD course updates from mm-hmm. from a user side. But why don't we start with shop going yeah, on? So uh vacuum forming kydex i'll not talk too much about that because we really did dig into that but it is working amazing and it's only on the sport right now because i just haven't had time to do the other three models Um, but we have it like i went into just full detail of like we kind of did like little time studies of like if we had a foot pedal for the vacuum this is going to be easier Uh, we got a t-shirt press by your recommendation huge upgrade really helpful we ditched the griddle um we reorganized a whole bench space to be specific to kydex so that you get like a muscle memory and it's all set up routed lines and gate and a gauge and everything's like wall mounted and it we just tried to like we even moved the computer and moved a monitor mount to just so that is like i just want kydex to go as fast as possible mm-hmm. i mean obviously we want to up quality which the vacuum for forming does um but 
ideally like we just need it faster because we're we're moving into a new era with some new projects that are going to just demand speed on the kydex side and right. uh, more efficient throughout the process meaning yeah. that you're sh- now you're you're really good about looking at the like downstream effects of an improvement in one area of efficiency which is interesting i mean like i don't i don't know that i see that as clearly as mm. you do but i guess you're right now your process is being well enough defined that you can feel that like oh okay this process that now takes three minutes is out of line because we shaved three minutes here yeah yeah is that kind of how you look at it or is it more it's pretty time study enveloped because the volume that we're wanting to go towards is like a minute or two here, there, letting something cool down instead of just moving. Like the cooling time of Kydex, like it stacks huge. Like it's Mm -hmm. a massive suck when you have enough volume happening Mm -hmm. Um, and it's starting to become a reality. Not that our current models demand it as much, but we're like, I can just see what's coming and what's going to, it's going to demand better efficiency. And in applying that efficiency to what we're already doing now, it allows us to keep all of our current models stable and continuous with new projects not displacing them by just keeping the same output but getting faster and more efficient and better quality Um, but the other thing that we realize that's been killing us is one thing that's like a little bit of a quirk of our process is we're doing everything soft basically Mm -hmm. and then it's just finishing after heat treat we have bevels and everything pre-heat treat works perfect except surface grinding soft material is not ideal grinding soft material is never ideal because if you have a grit like a wheel if you have one or two proud pieces of grit it's going to dig like a little tiny tick mark or a little tiny grain pattern Mm -hmm. and in a hard steel the steel actually dresses the wheel and it kind of like makes the wheel perfectly flat by nature um whereas with soft steel it's too soft to do that and so what we've run into is like our surface grinding is like as perfect as I think you could possibly get on soft steel because mm-hmm. I've had various sources. I've had various ways of doing it. And Ron, my brother-in-law over there, it's like, they look amazing, but it's still soft. And so there's still occasional just like tick marks and stuff. And so we've been flat sanding that all out. But the problem with it is a, mag- dimensional. a magna cut that's hard is like, horrific to flat sand so you're flat sanding it after the fact so we we bounce between flat sanding hard and flat sanding soft now the problem with soft is it's faster removal but you have the same problem of trying to sand soft steel in that if one piece of grit breaks free from the paper and drags it'll give Mm -hmm. you a deep scratch and then that scratch can be even deeper than the surface grinding so you end up chasing scratches like circularly and you, it's like, it's really been frustrating. Um, and so we made a discovery that was like a, one of the biggest breakthroughs we've had in the shop and it looks like it's going to work. And that is if you, uh, use a scotch bright wheel on mm-hmm. like a 400 grit scotch bright wheel on a buffer, mm-hmm. it is 400 grit, which the grit is theoretically will tumble out at about 400 grit Mm -hmm. and because it's a soft wheel you don't have the issue of like deeper scratches because it's got like a sponginess to it um but just doing that doesn't really work um because it wants to just glide over the part and it doesn't want to like bite at all and so we found that 
fresh off of the surface grinder. So it's been water jet. It's been surface ground. We are sandblasting a, a soft part that's just a water jet blank mm-hmm. and then scotch brighting it. And the scotch bright has something to grab because the, the surface has been abraded. And so the scotch bright slicks down to like a mirror finish, like in seconds, like you barely touch it. And the scotch bright has something to get a hold of. And it just strips that blast off. And it's, we need to talk more about that because that is surprising. So are you using like, like a, like a scotch bright wheel, like a pleated wheel or like one of the ones with like a scotch bright. It's basically a flap wheel, but it's yeah, the like flaps a flap are, wheel. They're okay. so dense. Yep. That like, it just looks like a cylinder. Yeah. You can, you can yeah. push into it. Um, yeah. okay. Like, and it's like a burgundy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The blast, the fact that that is pulling out blast, I guess it's on soft and soft. It's soft. That that's yeah. the yep. interesting. And so and this is pre-machining. Pre-machining. So you're the, not getting a dimensional change that would matter. Yep. Because the problem is you can't machine it and then hit the flats with really anything when it's soft because you'll blow out all kinds of features. Even flat sanding, mm-hmm. you'll like ruin your bevel heights and your like intersection of your bevels and stuff. And so we've just been fighting this man, trying to get like that final finish of the mm-hmm. like tiniest little detail. Because our stone wash just shows everything, right? It just mm-hmm. shows anything and everything that's underneath it. And uh, so, like I said, I I was experimenting with that and just finally had the breakthrough that was like the blast basically aggravates the surface into like a little microscopic mountain range and then the scotch bright tears it away and breaks it down so it's kind of like a like drywall you like build it up and then you sand it down and yep. it gives you like a finish but if you don't like build it up finish. right it doesn't work and so it's like that it, it works really well and it's way efficient it's efficient, but you're still adding a step, right? But now right. you're not hand sanding, so yeah. you're probably evened out. Uh, way ahead of evened out. Way because, ahead of evened out. Yeah, because the problem with the sanding is we would find that if you sanded it soft, you would get deeper scratches no matter what grit you used because yep. it's soft. And so you then have to, you'd have to flat sand soft to remove the bulk of the material to get down through the surface grinding. Then you'd have to flat sand hard to get rid of the scratches from that, which sometimes were deeper than expected. And the thing is, the style runs on one of these parts for about Mm -hmm. 16 to 18 minutes, depending on the model. And it takes about two minutes to sandblast and scotch bright, maybe three minutes. So it's inside of the the cycle time because you're just putting the next part in, next part in. Right. So it's, it's basically otherwise lost time. Right. That's been reclaimed and then flat sanding gets deleted. So Ooh, that it, is great. It, cha- it, it literally was like shackles, just like released. How, how did you come up with that process? So I have done, I've blasted parts prior yep. to heat treat before because it leaves it when it's soft and you blast it, it takes out basically any scratches. It takes out anything. Um, but the problem is it gets too porous and then it gets really corrosion prone. When it comes back, it's just got like pits that want to mm-hmm. hold water. And I, it occurred to me, I was like, well, I need the blast to get the like scratches out, but how do I remove it? And I tried f- blasting it and flat sanding it to accelerate the flat sanding, but you still get the same scratching problem because it's still soft. And then it just, I don't know, popped into my head, like take it to a scotch. I think I actually bought a buffing wheel first because I was mm-hmm. going to try to buff it off. Not enough, not enough like abrasion right. so i took it to that red scotch bright thinking like oh this is going to tear it to smithereens 
and it instantly hit it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the best finish that we've that ever got. That might be the thing. Like instantly. Like you can't overdo it either because it's a giant flat surface that yeah. is oversized. So if you right. roll a corner, it's all going away anyway. It's all going away. It doesn't matter. Man, that's a per- that sounds like just a perfect process. If it stays stable, like it looks like it is, mm-hmm. it might have increased our output by like a factor of like 30 or 40 percent oh wow we were hung up i mean we were still producing a lot of knives but it was like it was causing reworks it was causing instability it was like those types of problems are the worst too because they're they're gremlins essentially you don't know when Mm -hmm. it's going to happen you have to constantly watch for it yeah the fix varies which in your system streamlining that really actually throws like a pretty big wrench in. Yeah, it does big time. Oh man. So when, when I, when we broke through on that and like seemed to have success, it was like, like I said, it, I mean, I, I walked on clouds after that. I was like, I felt great for like days because it was just such a, that's a a huge one. And so the other thing that we had a breakthrough on is we have been, basically attacking like what is the thing that's the furthest behind right now we're the furthest behind on the overland sport we need to make more of those what do we need to to get those out the door we need more scales and just sort of prioritizing by how what the oldest orders are essentially Hmm. and then you basically get into a game of Mm whack-a-mole and you can't win that game because if you're focused on the next one then something else is going to fall um and so we restructured about two weeks ago, right after our last pod where I think we have maybe mentioned this before, but we finally implemented it where we have a production schedule for the week. And so there is no like instruction or plan. It's just, this is what the schedule is. So it's like, even if I wasn't here, Dalton knows like, this is the plan. So Monday we do a small batch Tuesday on the style. We machine them Tuesday, we do uh, scales and then like basically set it up as a, as a small batch all the way through the process every single week. Okay. And it's like repeat every single week. And every single thing that goes into a knife is done every single week. And so it's oh, small wow. batches getting completed on a weekly cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's within about two weeks. It just, it really clicked. Um, I think it clicked with Dalton and I'm feeling really good about it. That it's really satisfying just from kind of a, a tracking standpoint to like see things going in and out at Mm -hmm. a fairly rapid clip Mm -hmm. as opposed to like just never ending. And then a month later you have finished product. Yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with that on the custom side because it's like you want, you want the efficiency, but efficiency means that you have to work in a batch. Yeah. And when you work in a batch as like a solo shop, for the most part, like you, you go in one end of the tunnel and you don't come out for three weeks or a yeah. month. Yeah. And the other thing is, I one thing I didn't have prior to this is I didn't have a gauge, a finger on the pulse of what our actual productivity was. Mm-hmm. Because if you look, there's no metric to see where you're, how many knives you're producing. I know it sounds easy because you could just say, well, we shipped this many knives. Right. But that's extremely misleading because if you're playing that whack-a-mole game, you might ship an enormous amount of knives one month, but right. you were so focused on shipping those that the following month, you're yeah, now you're behind, be behind on like getting blanks heat treated. So you may have right. a down month. And so you don't actually know 
which was the more productive month. Like there's no metric. Right. The only way you can do that is in retrospect. You a, can look at total yeah. output at the end of the year and be like, here's yeah. what we produce overall over a long period of time. But yeah. with this, or maybe by quarter, like you could do it, you could judge, but yeah. this is a much more direct way of tracking. Yeah. So like now, like this week, if we have like a set goal number of knives to be all the way through the process every mm-hmm. week. And I know that if my parts of that process were done and his parts of that process were done this week, that we are on pace mm-hmm. and I get that confirmation every week. So if let's say something does happen, that's like an aberration. Let's say one of us is sick. Let's say something happens and a couple things are missed. I know the exact thing that was lost as far as like the volume of productivity. And so I know what we need to catch up on. Whereas before is like, if you miss a day, it's like, it just, there's no, there, you, like I said, I don't have a finger on the pulse. So it's like, it feels like we're being productive, but I don't actually know. And now right. I actually know because it's like, we got this amount of knives done this week. So we met our goal. End of story. Right. Next week, we're going to do it again. Kind of thing. I I like that a lot. Um, to go on like a minor tangent, I'm essentially trying to do something similar in a few areas. Um, and it came from kind of a similar conversation, which is like, I actually don't know what my output is. Mm -hmm. I can look back and be like, well, I made this much money or like I got these parts done. But I'm like, if you ask me like what, what I'm doing a lot of times, like I couldn't give you a number. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I've started doing is because I have so many different projects, I'm basically starting to track the time that I start a project. And then when that project is finished and at this point, they're completely separate. I mean, it like, mm-hmm. it might be Cypops and then I'm building like, some custom knives and then we're doing like some graphic design or like the next like merch release. The problem was that I was doing all of these things, but then only kind of relating to a, like one or two types of output as like what I accomplished. Mm-hmm. And it's just demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, if I want to acknowledge like what my true output is and also be able to see like, Hey, where is my time being spent? I have to start tracking basically on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, which this is the tangent part, which brings me to like Trello. Mm-hmm. So I basically, I sent you an article yesterday on using Trello as like a daily accountability tracker. Mm -hmm. So like the things that I know that I need to do every day go into a sheet inside of Trello or a card inside of Trello. And I go and I check those off. Um, Being ADHD, it's like super beneficial because one, there's, there's accountability, but there's dopamine in being able to like cross that off. Now I'm really trying to figure out like the tools and levers to make those kind of like tied to dates um, and like use some of that. Trello is deep. There's a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And now I'm doing it with basically my monthly. So I've, I've set like some monthly production goals and I'm just going in and like, like I have it as a to do and then crossing it off. And at the end of the month, I can look and say like, okay, like I made, you know, I did the lasered squids. I made my run of Cypops and kind of like, real-time track that Mm -hmm. dude it's tracking is so important yeah 
with efficiency and scale. You manage what you measure is the yeah, phrase. What I've gets heard. measured gets managed, yeah. right? Yeah. What was the what was the quote that I sent you? I really liked it. It was it kind of related to the processes of the product. Oh yeah. It was if oh, I'm gonna butcher oh, it. It was if 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 you if you deleted all your goals and ambitions, would your process your current process still get you there anyway? Like if you didn't aim for them anymore, would the I'm process? Look, I'm still, looking it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh, it was a good one. Okay. If you completely ignored your goals and focused only on your system, would you still succeed? And it was, that's attributed to James Clear. Hmm. Um, I really like that. Yeah, me too. This, this tying into like a longer term process of, of goals is a really interesting thing. Like if you look at it and you're like, okay, right now, primary goals, like a lot of them are financial and time related. Mm-hmm. Does the way that I'm working, if I took those goals out of my head, does it get me to the same end result? So like right now, no, my goals don't necessarily align with my process. Mm-hmm. That is a pretty cool test. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those like kind of immediate gut feelings of like, I never, I never compared my system to my goal. <laughs> yeah. Even well, it's it like the things that you obvious. want, right? Yeah. Like versus like what you want versus what you do mm-hmm. or that question that like, so what question? Like, oh, I want to work three days a week. So what? Like, what are you physically actively doing about mm-hmm. that? Right. Mm-hmm. Or I want to be able to bench 400 pounds. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what, so what? Yeah. That's a pretty fun one. I got yeah. like, I read that and I just kind of was like. No, yeah, that is a that's a a good test. Sometimes words are mirrors. <laughs> System check. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. a good one. Uh, tangent, tangent off. Um, no, that's a good one though. Uh, yeah, that that basically rounds it out. Other than the fact that I did start to tease the next generation of products that we're coming out. Saw with. that. Um, a lot of details are still under the old hat, mm-hmm. but if you saw it on Instagram, we're, we're doing some different things. It's looking good. Thank you. But yeah, that was the last couple of weeks was trying to prepare our current process to have another thing laminated on top of it without yep. crushing it. I mean, that sounds like it's working pretty well. Feels, feels like it, but it's to do it. It's, it's taking effort a lot of so time. The weekly, <laughs> the weekly output thing that means that you have to be okay with what you can produce in a week, right? Like the lever of, of what you can change is small inside of a week. If you're going to be like, we're going to finish this inside of a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, your reef, your finishing, uh, process with the, with the scotch bright wheel, if that's truly a 30 or 40% gain, like that's huge. Mm-hmm. But there's probably not a, at this point, there's probably not a, a lot of areas where you're going to find that. So, no. and, and the, the yeah. only reason I'm asking this is like conceptually, like if you were to do this same project over a month, your potential output based on batch efficiency could go up, but like maybe that's a nominal amount too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So currently 
we are selling by demand in a lot yep. of ways. So it's like we can't just only focus on producing more, more, more. And that's part of why we've actually gotten or I have gotten complacent in the last year is that it's like in my mind, I'm like, well, we don't have to get too much more efficient because we are keeping up with demand. But it's this new project that is refocusing me to like just because we're keeping up with demand doesn't mean we can't compress that effort into a smaller chunk of time to then add another thing. Yeah, because it like the complacency part is like, well, we were able to zero out our order books on a monthly basis. So why do we need to go faster? And it's like, well, if you just want to stagnate, yeah, you can just hang out and do what you're doing. And that's where I just I realized I want to get faster, not because we're not fulfilling orders, but because I want to grow. You want to grow. Right. Um, So but the but we're not trying to make more product. Right. Say we're trying to make the the same amount of product in less time. Yep without sacrificing any Man, quality. that right there, that is, that's the key, mm-hmm. right? So that's, I realized for some of the products that we're doing, that's exactly what, where I want to be. It's like, I don't want to remove certain types of output or certain products from my line. I just don't want to focus on them exclusively. Yeah. So that's where like efficiency comes into play, of course, but also just being completely honest with yourself with how much you want to produce. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty fun. Um, there's a tangent there, which is about complacency. Mm-hmm. And this one, this one is like kind of self-corrected over the last couple of weeks. We were talking about this before we jumped on, but I wanted to at least touch on the Instagram uh, mm-hmm. bands that were happening mm-hmm. and just like, I don't know, just brainstorm on it a little bit. You yes. don't want it. That was interesting. Yeah. Anybody that's peripheral or in the knife industry that was on Instagram anytime in the last couple of weeks probably saw a bit of a emergency situation. Pretty much every knife account was flagged and banned from their stuff being shared with non-followers is basically what I saw. And that's a scary thing because that's how you grow on a platform like that. And yeah, you can retain your own followers. But in this day and age, Instagram doesn't even show your stuff to your own followers either. So right really bottlenecking the whole deal. Um, yeah, it was an thoughts? interesting one. We, I had a professional, like a creator account. So we have two accounts, right? We have Burnley knives, which is me. And we have Burnley brand, which is like the brand Burnley brand never got flagged. We also don't really like, we post pictures of knives, but we like intentionally don't tag knives. We don't, mm-hmm. it is the ban itself is related to weapons. Right. And so knives, whether you're making like, uh, you know, a Damascus kitchen knife, you know, or like an art piece, they, people were getting banned, like broad spectrum. Yeah. Right. And not, not banned, but basically what would happen is a post gets flagged. That flag shuts your account down until there is some type of decision made. Either the post is removed or or you appeal, you appeal the decision. Where this gets weird is that within a couple days, people started appealing and getting the post cleared, which is actually crazy Mm -hmm. surprising to me Mm -hmm. because I just like you and I have talked about this, like we're not a target. They just don't care. They don't notice. It's like we're just one more gnat that gets like rolled into a bigger, you know, rule. 
Yeah. The other thing that has me scared is I, I haven't been posting uh, actual posts quite a lot. I've done a lot mm-hmm. more stories recently. I made a post yesterday and it was the first one since the whole Instagram, whatever. And I never got flagged. I never got an alert. I never nothing. And my handle is knife designer. So it's like, right. I can't really escape it. And I would thought, yeah, I got away scot-free, right? Well, I post the post and then I look at the analytics in the first like four hours. And there was like, I've, you know, coming up on 17,000 followers, of course, about six or 800 people actually got to see it of my followers in the first like four hours. And then it said non-followers who have seen it one. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that I am in that basket, but I never got the alert because yeah, one, one you person. Might be, you might be as, do you have a professional account? Yeah. Do you have a creator account? So one thing is you can actually turn that off. And you lose some of the like trackability, like, you know, metadata stuff. Yeah. Analytics, but you gain the flexibility of just being able to post photos. Mm -hmm. Dude, it's, it's wild because I mean, this is, I, inside of the knife industry, I really follow like a pretty broad swath from like our side of the industry to like, you know, super crafty, like not knife industry makers that are like making, you know, knives for like gardening and oyster knives. They're not, they're not, they're they don't think of the knife industry when they make product, mm-hmm. right? It almost falls into more like craft and home goods. Mm-hmm. They're, they were getting t- flagged. And so it was just a, a really interesting kind of little flurry. Like our friend, you know, Ben Peterson always says like, we're on rented land. Mm -hmm. And this is where the complacency component came in was it was like, I looked at it and I was like, okay, I had a post. I got like nothing on it. And after Mm -hmm. a long time, like you kind of know like where you're, what you generate. Mm -hmm. It's just flat. Yeah. I never made a post on Instagram about it. I never like, you know, I'm not like trying to change the system. Mm Mm-hmm but it really made me review kind of like what, what redundancies and resiliency kind of efforts we've made and like what needs to be improved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's all in a sense. The sad part is that pretty much everything there is, is rented except yeah. for like the very, you know, marginal, like, email list is basically the only thing that's like actually bulletproof as far as I can tell. And that's something I'm investing heavily in. Yeah. And, uh, the other thing is, I don't know what it is about it, but Google is not anti knife really. Interesting. So Google ads of knives are all over the place. Right. And Google owns YouTube and YouTube seems to not care at all about knife content. Like there's been like zero issues with zero issues. Um, and so, I mean, it's not like I'm this fanboy of Google or anything like that, but it seems like they're going to buy us more ability and latitude than meta seems to be right. doing. So that's at least a current thing to a trend to be. Well, I think, of. I think this is just like, as something to watch, like if you go there, there is knife content on TikTok. Okay. It just has to be creative. 
like there are things that you can't do, can't show. And there's like two ways to kind of deal with this, which is like one, get super indignant and angry about people like taking away your ability. That's fine. Two, it's figuring out how to work within the systems that are available to us. Um, I had, I had something that was really strange with Instagram and I still haven't figured it out. So normally like I'll post reels and I'll get like, 5,000, 7,000 views, something like that. From the USN show, I posted a reel of my line at the table. That reel has like 276,000 views. Mm -hmm. It generates, it's actually really funny because the comment section is like kind of trash. It's basically people being like, why are all these guys wearing backpacks? Mm -hmm. Like, just like we're you're, you're seeing that it, these are people that actually have no interaction. Yeah. Truly with me a or new audience industry. Yeah. The only thing that I can figure out is that like the algorithm is picking up on like a lot of faces yeah. or something. Yeah. It's, I have had a couple of posts do that. Wow. And it's, it's, I want to find a pattern as to why obviously yeah. that's the whole yeah, of course, everybody does, but there's been a couple where I'm like, I have no idea. No I, idea. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like a, the scalpel plus the yep. very first picture I ever posted, it was in front of the Tormach. I was holding it like a 45 degree angle. It, it was a post, not a reel. And it blew up to like 6,000 likes, which is like 10. That's yeah. That's yeah. That's insane. And there's also, I mean, I didn't do it. It was exactly like everything else because, because the algorithm picked up on a line that looked like a cyber truck or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there was an yeah. angle in there that was like, Oh, this is like pleasing to the eye. Yeah. yeah. This conversations like this for me are like one of the prime reasons we kind of started the pod. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, there's not, there's not an answer around this. There's not a solution, but so much of kind of what we are talking about, what we're working towards is wrapped up in occasions like this inside of our industry, but like also beyond. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, like the idea of best practices, the idea of like not being complacent, like this is when it really comes into play because it's super easy to look at that and be like, Oh yeah, that got fixed. And it did. And that's the crazy thing. So within, what would you say? Like three or four days, Mm -hmm. people started to have those posts removed. And I had seen somebody comment that it was, you know, it's like an A, like some, something, it was like an AI thing that like, but that would mean that there was a constraint placed that Mm -hmm. was then removed. And I have a really hard time believing that. Yeah. Yeah. The hard part about this is that it's not like they print out a document of like our terms and conditions that it's actually legible and tells you regarding us what we can and can't do. It's it's all in a black box. It's secret meetings or AI making decisions. Like we will never get to know what we can and can't do. Yeah. Clearly. That's the worst part about this for me is like, okay, tell me, did I post a double edged weapon? Right. Or did I, is it like a black knife or, you know, right. what, like what, am, what is the, what, what is the avoid? criteria? Like, yeah, yeah you and I do, are not like weapons companies, yeah. weapons yeah. makers or brands. Right. Um, I was thinking about this, like for probably the first 10 years I made knives, like every background I had 
was probably some kind of like tactical backpack and like a handgun or a rifle or like ammunition or something because that fit in with like a lot of the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I can't even like, I can't think about posting that now. Yeah. Which is yeah. so interesting to me. So like even inside of that, like I guess brands change and like, you know, you mature or you, you refine or you see like, okay, this is like not the aesthetic or I'm changing my aesthetic, but like some of it is definitely environmental. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with social media, as it relates to industry or craft, there's like a really tricky balance of like, it's marketing, right? But it's also community. At a small scale, how do you utilize it to maintain, you know, build and kind of, or you know, develop community and connections? without letting it take too much time. And at what point are we not like seeking, like I have, I'm not on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Me neither. That's probably ridiculous, but I, either I, as like an individual have aged out of that thought process or my brand has, or I just don't see enough of a gain to like learn it. But like, yeah. how, how do you think about that from a management standpoint? Um, a couple things. I think it's, you can't ignore social media trends. If you do, you're losing a lot of opportunity. So I, I, I hate it, but I have to embrace the current trend of how to market. Absolutely. Yeah. You, ha- you just have to. And I, I don't like that, but yeah, it's yeah. the way it is. But I have, I place a high, high value on the old school mindset of you make your customer happy. Yeah. They talk. Yeah. At the end of the day, you look at a lot of companies out there, like look at Chris Reeve. Are right. they a influencer based social right. media mogul? No. You know what I mean? They're just, yeah, right. they post on Instagram, but look, they have what, 45 employees. Instagram right. sales are not keeping 45 employees it's not, busy. Yeah. Yeah. It's word of mouth. And yeah. it's like the strongest businesses alive today are still based on that old mentality. And so I think part of it, is keeping your focus uh, historically aligned with the way humans actually work. Because I know the right. social media thing is like a new layer, but humans are still humans and they still talk. Right. You know what I mean? And they still it's collect just another, things. It's another reminder too that like the thing screaming most loudly for your attention may not be the most valuable yeah. or most dangerous or I mean, most anything. Yeah. It's just the one that is screaming the loudest yeah. and is like pulling your attention. Yeah. I struggle with that a lot because like I just have like shiny object syndrome. So like I'm always like, what did I send you? I was like, Hey, can we record the pod in VR? And then we can have like active, like, you know, like Q and A's with people who are also in VR. It's like, we don't need to do that. Just that's a huge mm-hmm. time waste. But I spent like three hours going down the rabbit hole of like researching that as like a potentiality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's totally doable, but kind yeah. of cumbersome. Yeah. But I don't know that one. Tangent that one just kind of hit in a way where I was like, everybody got really, really scared. And then it was instantly gone. And I'm curious yeah. what changes people made. Or 
or not, or if there is like a, you know, not, I don't think a lot of us have like backup plans, but like you have to have like some fail safes in place. Yeah. Like, like you and I talk about like the newsletter, right? Yeah. yeah. You have it's to have not the podcast for us is a, is a fail safe yeah. because we feel like this is a way that you and I can interact with media, right? Mm-hmm. Social by nature that is not directly related to something that would be like bannable on Mm -hmm. a platform by meta. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, uh, it's something I think a lot about right now is, uh, building that fortress, building that, that diversification. And, uh, I'm, like I said, I, I want to start with the product in that, in that endeavor, not with what is my image, what is my projected, uh, right. What, like, Cause here's the thought on this new project we're doing. It, it involves a higher volume of knives. If you haven't kind of picked up on that already, it's like we want to do things in a way that we create more value at a lower price with higher volume. And part of my mentality is putting those knives in people's hands that are maybe in a price bracket or looking for a knife in a price bracket that is a bigger market, but it's also different people. Just getting the knife in their hands is the marketing I plan to do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, I want the product to speak for itself. And I want as many people as possible to either see one, hold one or buy one. You know what I mean? And having this lower price bracket that has a quality that it's that in my goal is above what the price indicates. Right. Is is how I get people orbiting around the brand. And so it's like for me, it's just like it starts with the product, you know? Yeah. Once once this is like released, I want to go into kind of the strategy behind this and the yeah. thought process because you and I talked about it a little bit, and it was interesting because you you brought out a few points in like that I I didn't frame it that way, so I think that's like a pretty fun conversation. Uh, if you want a parallel, it's like Tesla came out with a Model S, yeah, because it's easier to build a luxury car and sell it for more money and then start a business that way. It's harder to go for the volume thing at the beginning, at the beginning. Um, and so like Elon's been talking about that for 20 years, like that was the the goal. And then the model three eventually came. It's like, that's the, that it's like right out of that script of like, we started with the luxury because it allowed us to develop luxury processes, but there was a price point that would absorb some of our inefficiencies. Right. And we're now going to move to a point where the, the margins are not there to absorb inefficiencies, but that's why I am racing. But you reach a larger them. audience. Yeah. I'm scrubbing yeah. as many inefficiencies out as possible while making these other products as like a prototype for how we might move down. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of the goal. I think a lot of people get really, I don't know if I guess dogmatic would be like maybe rigid, a way of like, this is my brand or like, this is me as a maker. This is my price point. This mm-hmm. is the type of product that I make. This is my customer and not being able to de- deviate. So like mm-hmm. inside, you know, the couple of decades that I have, we've seen a few really big, like, okay. So like the, uh, like CNC becoming commonplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was not commonplace and it was, it was really argued about. And like, there were so many like heated discussions and like misinformed opinions and just a lot of noise around it. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened around like mid tech, right? 
then mid tech rolls into like micro production, which is that was like really muddy for a while. And then now it rolls into like true OEM Mm -hmm. and the conversations continue happening. I have always maintained that like as a creative or as a owner, you, I, I truly believe that you can have the flexibility to do products that exist in different markets. As long as you can explain the, like the why. Yeah. 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 Like as long as there's a reason like, and this really, I think is the scariest when you're like a true luxury brand. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like if you're Birkin bag and you're selling a $60,000 purse, like you're probably not going to do, you know, a $1,500 bag. And I don't even know that that's true. It's just like the first like example that came to mind, but I think it's doable. And I think it's, in a way, I think it would create long-term support and customer development for a lot of brands that like either could be in decline or are like very up towards the top of the pyramid. Yeah. yeah as yeah. far as like pricing structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting one. Like I've played with it. Like I've taken that risk inside of my brand and I've had customers tell me like, a few specifically, um, that like, I'm ruining my name. I'm ruining my brand. Mm -hmm. Like when I started doing factory design, um, when I've done OEMs, like, and it's because like those things didn't fit inside like their view of me. And that's fine. Mm. Like we don't make things for everyone. Yeah. Right. That's not the goal. Yeah. I love it. I I'm, I think that as a process, Man, yeah, and just as a plan, I think that right now it's like you, you're completely right. Reaching more people is so valuable, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and as a very technical thing, I just remembered this. I did have this first sheet of this new design laser cut instead of I water. I saw jet. that. Um, got a lot of questions about that on Instagram when I posted yeah. it, and uh, I'm not going to claim that it's going to work because I actually don't know if it's going to work. Right. It's a, it's a grand experiment. I've been advised to avoid laser and I've been advised that it's not as scary as people think. And so I let's dig into that just a little bit. Okay. So laser has been in use for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Like most notably, probably like Bob T like back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Laser okay. is not new. It's not new. Millions of knives are made every single year that are laser cut. Right. I think like Emerson yeah. uses laser to yeah. cut frames, bench made. This is not. Yeah. This is not out. It's not of, novel. Yeah, it's not novel, but it is more common in production, yeah, right? It's, it's common in high, high volume, high volume production. So, what have you been warned about laser? So, laser hardens steel. Full right. stop. End of story. Yep. There are some people that say that's not true. I don't see how that's even remotely possible. I mean, if you're going to heat it enough to cut it and melt it, yeah you're going all to you have to do is actually experiment with a piece that has been laser cut and you instantly it, it, understand it air hardens yeah, um, air hardens there's a kerf that is hard yeah yeah okay. and i can confirm that i did grind on the edge of one of these to just i want to just see what the feel was of like what does that hardness right. feel like it's very hard right um the question is how deep right and the question is so i laser cut these blanks 25 thou oversized just like i do with water jet and I'm going to machine that away. 
Yep. And I think the, the ultimate question is, does the machine tooling wear out so fast that the benefits of laser are lost, like in that tug of war? You know what I mean? I'm going to put my money on no. And here's why. You're going to have an entry path <clears throat> that goes through a very small section of hardened material, mm-hmm. right? At that point, you're now cutting such cutting a, underneath it. You're cutting underneath it. Yep. And you're using carbide. Yeah. Some of these things. So like I've worked on parts that have been laser cut, like even mm-hmm. laser cut spotted holes. Yeah. Needs a carbide drill. Yeah. It is not impossible. It's just, this is another one of those. I think people had bad experiences, not knowing what tooling was correct. Yeah. And it informed like a generation of makers. I'm really curious yeah. though. Could totally be wrong. Yeah. And cause flat out it's the laser, the, the shop that I'm going to have laser cut it. The quote is half the price of the water jetter to do it. So it's 50% savings and water jet is expensive in volume with big parts. Yeah. Like what mine are. It's expensive, expensive. Yeah. And it's slow. So it's like, if you, if you haven't seen a water jet run, like if you have a big sheet, like a magnet yeah. cut or something, it'll sit on that water jet for like hours yeah. to cut it out hours. Yeah. So if you drop off 10 sheets of steel, right. And they, and then you see the price and you're like, wow, that's expensive. It's like, no, that water jet that was physically moving days, hours for yeah. days. And so it's like the laser, the cycle time on one sheet of this knife was five minutes. But wow. the, the per hour time is like 4x what a water jet's per hour, time, per hour time is. But it's so fast that you actually come out way, way ahead. Um, and so the, the like I said, per part cost is half the price to laser. Okay. And in the volume we want to target, like that actually matters to me a lot. So when you started this process, was it based on price and efficiency or accuracy? Because I noticed that you're using you're using some like an indicating method that is pretty rad. But are you doing that straight off the laser or are you milling a feature and so the, then indicating? So the laser is the surface left by either the laser or the water jet does need to be used for location purposes, but they are very, if it was off by five or 10 thou, it wouldn't matter. Wouldn't matter because, because you have, as long as it's less part. than 25 thou, okay. we'll be good. Um, and if, if for whatever reason, 25 isn't enough, I have the other sheets that I could blow that up to 30, 40, 50 thou. Like, I don't know what it needs to be. I'm just going to start where I have been and work my way up if necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, uh, I'm building a fixture, hopefully within the next few days or week, and I will try to machine it and I will just see how does it sound. I will, I got 21 parts out of that sheet. I will run the 21 parts. I will see, did I immediately just lose edges of tools? Is it chipping? Right. What's happening? I just need the data. Um, and then I have seven other sheets ready to go that are either going to go back to the laser shop or back to a water jet. Right. I know the water jet is going to work because that's all I do already. And right. I know it'll work. So you're, yeah, you already have a process yeah. that's functioning. Yeah. This could just be an yeah. upgrade. That's what, like, when you were talking about service grinding, I was thinking, like, I was like, have you ever had parts double disked, like, or lapped, or, right. you know, there's there's so many processes that, like, we as small shops, we don't have, like, a process engineer mm-hmm. who is up to date on all or like up yeah. to date, but like also 
knows the processes from like yesteryear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. We're kind of figuring it out. A lot of these things, like we're figuring it out with like the tools we have mm-hmm. and then expanding. And it's like you have a circle that knows how to do some things. If you are like a hand knife maker and you know other hand knife makers, you're going to get for the most part a certain type of information. Yeah, yeah. If you are inside of CNC, you're going to get certain types of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and I need to go to one of the big machine shows. Yeah, I am too. Just for our brains. Yep. And to eat steak and drink whiskey and smoke cigars. Yes. Let's do it. Was <laughs> yeah. it Detroit? Is that MTS or is it somewhere uh, MTS, over there? MTS. I thought it was it Detroit Michigan or something. It might be. It's yeah. It's like Chicago or Detroit or one of the yeah. big yeah. Midwest cities. Um, yeah. Okay. So when will you know if this is working? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe okay. Tuesday. Those are the two days. Because one okay. benefit of this new weekly schedule that we have set up is I know which days the machines are tied up because it's always going to be that way. So Monday, the sile is tied up for okay. making the next batch for the next week's go around. Okay. So, so I either get it done this weekend or I do it on Tuesday. But as soon as the fixture is done, I have the parts ready to go on it. And the part is actually already programmed. So it's like I could hit cycle start right now if I had the fixture done. I yep. just need to get the pallet on there and get it machined, which is it's the easiest fixture I've ever designed for any of my knives because it's a simpler part, you know, than okay. any of my other knives. So it the part never moves. It goes in, it gets fully machined, it comes out. And so Wow. Yeah, there's there there's one clamp that has to move, but the part goes in, goes out. Never moves, never flips, never does anything. So that's pretty amazing. If it works, hopefully. If it works. So if it works, our part density, even though it's a way bigger part, our part density goes way up. A pallet is four knives instead of one. And the cycle time is like a fraction of what the other knives are. Um, So, like I said, I, I I took the knives that we already had and that we're working really, really well that are like, we, I really invested, like if I found a way to make it better, I did that thing. Right. Even if like efficiency was difficult, like chamfers yeah, and the milled bevels that are just like really perfect and stoned right. and stuff like this knife, I looked at like, what are the things that make our high end knives great? Right. And what are the things that make them better? But the knife would not be like functionally suffering without it. Yeah. And I stripped out like any trimmed, any fat to try to move in a direction where it's like inefficiencies are getting cut out things that are a little bit on the fluff side. They're a little bit on the, just like fit and finish side that are maybe not as critical to a lot of customers I'm cutting out. Um, and we're just going to have a different, different approach. It'll be cool. You know, it's fun. I don't know if you saw the post I did a while back on Instagram, especially since I was probably being shadow banned. Um, on on unfinish have you heard me talk about unfinished before Mm-mm. okay so unfinished like conceptually for me is the point at which all mechanical work all like all anything of substance to make the part function is done mm-hmm. but it is pre-finish so it's an it's unfinished and it's my favorite part of a knife mm-hmm. so i'll have a folder it's like lock set detent set blades ground everything is at the stage in which it is now ready to have final finishes applied yeah 
every time I post a knife in that state, people are like, can we just have that? Can we, can we get that knife? And I'm like, I now really want to do a series of like unfinished. And so what that looks like is kind of fun from the standpoint of like, depending on the end finish, the unfinished is different. Mm -hmm. It's just so interesting to me that people really like seeing kind of the raw form. Yep. Like as machined or like, you know, tumbled, but not blasted or like, it's, it's cool to me. Yeah. It's I'm excited, man. I've like this idea popped in my head and I think I called you about it and I was like, this sounds fun as hell. And it has been, but it's good. (laughs) It's been a lot of work. So you're doing, you're doing a lot, man. Um, yeah, it's a lot. Okay. Um, we're like, we're running up on an hour here. Uh, So I really wanted to talk about the CAD course, Mm -hmm. but I also don't want to talk about it at the end of the pod because it, I've had like some major breakthroughs, um, which I will directly attribute to you and the course. And I just want to like, I want to dig into that, but I want to do it at the beginning of the next pod. Okay. Yeah. I will. Let me add that to our little Trello list. Here. Oh yeah. Trello. Uh, add that. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I did want to mention on Patreon. Thank you guys for following us on and, uh, joining us on Patreon. I posted a discount code in the Patreon Ooh. for the course. It's a pretty healthy discount. Just wanted to throw that out there. I I want to play with that a little bit more too. So that's a great like that's a great intro. That's a great test. See like what that does. Mm-hmm. I want to try that with a few brands. Mm-hmm. Just to see like I don't even really want anything like I don't want anything in return, but I want Brands that we like, I would love to get a coupon code from. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about like who we would want a coupon code from and see if they mm-hmm. would be game for it. Some small discount. I just want to yeah. see if it has an effect. Like the people that are listening to this, will yeah. they go buy something if there's a discount code? Yeah. Let us know. Okay. Who would you like to see a discount code from? That's, if you're oh, a Patreon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Haas Automation. G- I'd like to see, I would like to see, uh, I'd like to see Workshop. And yeah. I would like to see true grit. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, and there's a few others. Joe Mangifico, uh, friend of the pod sent me a message and was like, dude, discount code from true grit would be amazing. Mm-hmm. We've we just worked with them for so long. We really, really like them. They've always taken good care of makers. Um, they have a good product line. That's where I like, remember it's from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll reach out and, and talk to them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, thanks for you guys that are on Patreon. Thank you. Um, We'll jump in there and have some conversational stuff going soon and cover your bases. Build some redundancy into your systems. And at the end of the day, it's about the customer. It's not about how the communication is with the customer. It's not about the it's not about the medium. It's about the message. Oh, it's not the medium. It's the message. Yeah. Amen, brother. Let's leave it at that. Be well. Peace.